seems to me the entire premise of the exercise of this extraordinary kind of jurisdiction would be that the seizure itself is unlawful. And if you, if you can't establish that, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What are they doing in court? And that was a Trump-appointed attorney. Well, what? I don't Appointed judge, I mean. I, right. I don't know what anyone's doing I'm here. So scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I even forgot to tweet today's show. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Someone remind me how to do it. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast in, in KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WL. R.I. Maui, Hawaii's K.A.K.U. in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle. On KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, and NicholSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites you can run but you can't hide from the broadcast. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. It has been a while. Desi Doyen, as you can see, I'm already confused. (laughs) It's easy to forget how to do your job when you're off for more than like a day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A few days off, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't, but let's be honest. I didn't really know what I was doing before I took days off. So, <laughs> you don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> all right. Well, they, they noticed. Believe me. Like, I, I, yeah, I forgot to tweet the show. But you don't have to forget to tweet me if you like. I am the Brad Blog on the Twitters. I'll try to keep an eye on uh, on on the those tweets if they happen to come in during the show, given the fact that Twitter is still here. Thought it might not even be here after uh, the past week. And yet it is still here. For what it's worth. And as if it isn't already uh, nice enough to be back at work after a much-needed Thanksgiving break, we get this early gift from pillow guy Mike Lindell today on the podcast show of the convicted criminal Steve Bannon. I am 100% running for the RNC chairman against Ronna McDaniel. 100%. I'm all in, Steve. And uh, one of the things that uh, one of the big donors said to me, He said, Mike, he said, everybody wants you to be head of the RNC. Some of them just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, My pillow, my RNC pillow guy, Mike Lindell, running to be the uh, chair of the RNC. Yeah, and I'm sure that that Republican that's unnamed wasn't, say, trying to get Mike Lindell to give him (laughs) millions of dollars in campaign donations and flattering him or nothing Uh like that. I'm sure that was not Uh going on. Uh Uh-huh. 
And, of course, it was Donald Trump. We all know it was Donald Trump who was telling the pillow guy. <laughs> who else would want the pillow guy to be the chair of the RNC? Anyway, there you go. Welcome back. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, this happened also, uh, speaking of that other guy, the former guy, uh, this happened on Thanksgiving. So it received very little coverage from the mainstream corporate media. They were sort of standing down for the holiday and, and, you know, the Christmas parades and the dog shows. But on our last broadcast before taking some time off uh, ourselves for the holiday, we discussed the appointment of special counsel Jack Smith by the Department of Justice as Attorney General Merrick Garland determined that with Donald Trump's desperate bid to try and avoid accountability for all of his many crimes by declaring his 2024 candidacy just days after the 2022 elections, as if that was, you know, well, he's declared himself a candidate. I guess we can't arrest him now. Anyway, between that and Joe Biden, uh, considered at least for now to be running as well, Merrick Garland decided that the DOJ should appoint an independent special counsel to oversee the many investigations being done, the work being done in at least two criminal cases that are focused on the disgraced former president. And uh, one or both are likely, I believe, to end up in indictment. So, um those two cases, of course, would be the January 6th investigation focusing on Trump's incitement of a riot at the U.S. Capitol, an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, and also the attempt to use fake electors as one of his failed schemes to steal the 2020 presidential election. And then the other case is the probe of the thousands of pages of highly classified documents and other presidential records that were stolen by Donald Trump upon leaving office and brought down to Mar-a-Lago, where the FBI eventually had to uh, execute a search warrant to get them back to the American people who own them, to whom they belong. Now, as you likely know, uh, Donald Trump was able to file some ridiculous lawsuit with a federal judge that he appointed himself uh, down in Florida to uh, force a special master to be assigned to review all of the documents that were retrieved by the FBI back in August when they executed that warrant that was approved by a separate federal judge finding probable cause that, in fact, uh, the stolen documents were at Mar-a-Lago, along with other evidence of, well, several crimes that were underway, including violations of the Espionage Act, the Presidential Records Act, and obstruction of justice, all by the former president. Well... While Trump was successful in having that Trump-appointed federal judge in Florida assign a special master to review the documents and slow down the entire criminal probe of him having stolen those documents, well, the Department of Justice since then has sued at the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to shut down that whole thing, that federal judge appointing that special master, given their argument that that judge in question was actually both wrong in her rulings as far as whether a special master uh, should be appointed here to review the documents, to slow everything down, and that the judge, the DOJ argues, did not even have jurisdiction to make any rulings on this case at all. It was quite unusual, not only to appoint a uh, unprecedented, in fact, to uh, appoint a special master, but the judge in question, they should have gone back to the judge who originally uh, approved the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. Instead, 
he went to a, a forum where he thought he could get a more favorable hearing from a judge that he actually appointed. So now the DOJ is appealing all of that to the 11th Circuit Court, despite that court, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, crawling with Trump-appointed federal judges. Nonetheless, the 11th Circuit has repeatedly ruled against the corrupt lower court judge, Eileen Cannon, who does anything Mr. Trump tells her to do, apparently. And last week, there was a court hearing in the 11th Circuit uh, with the DOJ's motion to toss out uh, Judge Eileen Cannon's, the lower court's, uh, entire ruling. Uh, And it went particularly poorly for Team Trump. They are the plaintiffs in that case against the Department of Justice. And as the three-judge panel on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals consisted of uh, two Trump-appointed judges and one George W. Bush-appointed appeals judge, well, all three of them were very highly skeptical, to say the least, of the plaintiff's case. In fact, they were brutal in their questioning of Trump's attorneys, uh, in which the uh, Trump attorneys argued, well, there was nothing unusual at all about assigning a special master to review documents to make sure that they aren't attorney-client privileged in some way, even though Donald Trump, I should remind you, is not an attorney. And the fact that they're doing this in the middle of a criminal investigation before any indictments have even been brought down. So all three judges, again, two Trump judges and one George W. Bush judge, seem to argue, along with the Department of Justice, that there was absolutely no precedent for this kind of a case at all. And they even managed to raise the Trump uh, team, the Trump attorneys, even managed to raise a hackle or two from those Republican appointed judges, as in this exchange, by way of uh, just one example of things not going well for the plaintiff, Donald Trump. I agree with the court's premise that there's not case law. I would start with the broader premise, which is there's also not a situation in the history of this country where a sitting president authorized a raid of a presidential candidate's home. So we have some initial context. Do you think that raid is the right term for execution of a warrant? Or execution of a warrant. That's fine, Your Honor. I apologize for using a a more uh, loaded term. Yeah, why don't you just claim they kicked down the door, you jackass? It was not a raid. It was an executed warrant that was approved by a judge, given all of these crimes and and belief in probable cause that there had been several crimes underway, even as the FBI politely came by in the morning, knocked on the door, didn't even wear their FBI windbreakers, came in suits and ties, and uh, very politely took the thousands of pages of highly classified documents that were stolen by Trump back from Mar-a-Lago and gave them back to the American people. So basically, Trump's lawyers admitted in court that they got nothing. And so some smoke and mirrors. It was I an guess, outrageous the raid of, of the president's home, unprecedented. Yeah, with a bunch of rhetoric. But yeah, they got nothing. So that's where they were last week, making that argument. Now back to Jack Smith, the independent special counsel selected to oversee both that case and the January 6th investigation by the federal government. Uh, the, the plaintiffs uh, in, in this case, the Mar-a-Lago documents case, uh, argued that after 
Rudy Giuliani's office and home were searched by the FBI under a warrant a few years back that a special master in that case was assigned to determine which of the documents were actually attorney-client privileged and couldn't be used in any criminal proceedings against Rudy. Now, even if they are attorney-client privileged, there is a fraud crime exception. If those documents show uh, or are evidence of a crime happening, well, then you can't use the attorney-client privilege to hide those documents. So for those who wondered uh, if the new special counsel that was assigned to this case by the Department of Justice the new uh, special counsel, Jack Smith, if you were wondering whether he was aggressive enough or if he could get up to speed enough, a one single paragraph filing that was personally submitted to the court, to the 11th Circuit Court by Jack Smith on Thanksgiving Day should at least put that question, I think, to rest, at least for the moment, as he will oversee the documents case and the January 6th investigation. So on Thanksgiving Day, Jack Smith wrote to the 11th Circuit to say, uh, and again, one paragraph only, to the court, plaintiff asserts that, uh, and he lists the name of the case, uh, is an example of a case in which a court has previously asserted equitable jurisdiction to enjoin the government from using seized materials in an investigation pending review by a special master. That, says Jack Smith, is incorrect. As plaintiff recognizes, the plaintiff is Trump, plaintiff recognizes the court did not enjoin the government, did not, in other words, force them to appoint a special master. Instead, he writes, the government itself volunteered that approach. Moreover, the records were seized from an attorney's office. That would be Rudy Giuliani. The review was conducted on a rolling basis, meaning they uh, didn't hold up the entire investigation. They reviewed the documents and they you know, gave them over as, as soon as they could approve them. And he notes the case did not involve a separate civil proceeding invoking a district court's anomalous jurisdiction. That would be the lawsuit that Donald Trump filed in a district court and a court that was overseen by a judge that he appointed in all of this. Jack Smith ends it by saying none of this is true here. Yours truly, Jack Smith, special counsel. One paragraph, one paragraph court filing. I'm surprised he didn't say happy Thanksgiving. But that's what Jack Smith was doing on Thanksgiving. And jumping right into this case, I mean, it was uh, like a week ago on this program, we were talking about the appointment of this new special counsel. Will he be able to get up to speed in time? He had just been appointed a day or two earlier. Well, it looks like he's jumping in. In other words, as Allison Grimes of the uh, Mueller She Wrote podcast and Twitter account, she was a guest on our show a couple of weeks ago, she tweeted in response to all of this, quote, Special Counsel Smith on Thanksgiving sends a letter to the 11th Circuit to the 11th Circuit pointing out a fatal flaw in one of Trump's arguments in the documents case. Trump tried to argue a court forced the government to allow a special master in the Rudy case. But Jack Smith points out that's a lie. First, it was the government's idea for a special master in the Rudy case. Second, Rudy's a lawyer. Third, documents were re released on a rolling basis. And finally, Rudy didn't have a civil pr proceeding invoking BS jurisdiction. LOL. 
badass, she says, in reference to Jack Smith. So who knows if Jack Smith is ultimately up for this or not? Or if, you know, if, if all of this would uh, somehow stall these multiple cases against the former president or not. But now that he's serving as a special counsel, so far at least, it looks like this guy is on the job. He's getting up to speed quickly and he seems happy to dive right in to call out lies in court when necessary. I see that as a very good sign to kick things off after the holiday as we move out of election season. Almost out of election season uh, and into what I hope to be calling accountability season. But we will see. We shall see. And I, I think that Jack Smith certainly does have the background. I mean, as you had mentioned, he was a prosecutor of war crimes at The Hague for the last several years. So I think that this will be a case, uh, two cases that he can handle. We shall see. Indeed, you're right. Uh, so uh, happy accountability season. As to that election, uh, like I said, we are almost out of it, but not quite. This is going to take a while in a few cases. So I've got another a number of other stories that I want to try uh, to get, uh, get y'all and myself caught up on uh, from over the past week when I know that I was trying to look the other way for a few days to help heal my brain. Uh, and I will try to get to a few of those stories today. But I thought it might be nice to open the phones, which I haven't been able to do for a few weeks here, to, in fact, hear from you on anything that you think the world may need to know about. Think of it as a sort of reverse broadcast, if you will. Instead of me reporting to you about what's going on, uh, let's say we turn the tables. You tell me what matters. And, of course, I'll then tell you why, you, why, you're, why, why you will be wrong. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPSFK. Man, I've been gone for a long time. Let me start with 818-985-5735 or 818-985-KPFK. Got it? Good. Give us a call if you like. Love to hear what's on your mind. Uh, before we get there, uh, and feel free to queue up now, uh, the November 8, 2022 midterms, they are not over yet as votes continue to be tallied and canvassed and contests certified and challenged. And, of course, there is the big U.S. Senate runoff. That's still to come next Tuesday in the great state of Georgia between incumbent Democratic Senator Rev uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock and former football player and Trump-backed fantasist Herschel Walker, which I hope to be diving into that race uh, in some details on the program as this week moves forward. But uh, a few other races were called over the holiday week that you may or may not have heard about. So I want to get caught up there. Mary Peltola, the uh, Democrat who was elected just a few months ago to the U.S. House in a special election to fill the seat of Don Young, the Republican congressman who served in Alaska's only U.S. House seat for the last nearly 50 years before his recent sudden death. Well, now Congresswoman Mary Peltola, who won that race, flipped that seat from blue to red. I'm sorry, from red to blue for Democrats. Uh, now Congresswoman Mary Peltola 
uh, is the first Democrat to represent Alaska in a half a century and the first Alaska native, by the way, to ever represent the state in Congress. Well, she has been the name of she has been named the winner of the full election to hold that seat, not just until the end of uh, the end of the year, the end of what would have been Don Young's term, but for the next two years, once again, beating back two Republican challengers, one of whom uh, in 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 both cases, in both this uh, regular election and the special election a few months ago, uh, was, in fact, the state's former governor, the 2008 Republican vice presidential nominee and Trump endorsed candidate Sarah Palin, driving a final stake, I think, through her career once and for all, as if she hadn't already driven dozens of stakes through them already. Uh, Alaska always takes a long time to tally votes, even though they have relatively few of them. Not a lot of people live in Alaska. After all, they only have one at-large district to the U.S. House. Uh, but it means that they also have to come a long way before they can be tallied in Fairbanks. So they come from all over the state by plane, by sled. Seriously. Well, and remember, yep. Alaska is as broad, as wide in in, in, mileage, in miles as the United as States the United is. States, so, exactly. So it's like trying to fly from San Francisco to New York yep. or drive. And so those ballots are going to take a while to have to get back to be counted. But this took even longer because it was a ranked choice voting election in Alaska. And they're just trying this out for the first time. Uh, that means in, in R- RCV contest, ranked choice voting contest. There is a complicated way of, of, of counting ballots. It's very difficult for the public to oversee. I'm not a huge fan of it because of that. But if nobody wins more than 50 percent of the original vote, uh, in this case, the candidates, there were four of them uh, here. The candidate who received the fewest votes is removed and second place votes that are ranked by his or her voters are then redistributed to the other candidates and they count them all up again. And that process continues until there are either only two candidates or one of them reaches 50 percent plus one. So that's why it also takes a while now in Alaska. The House race uh, required three rounds of counting before Mary Peltola, the Democrat who had been leading from the start, by the way, ended up winning. She defeated Palin. She defeated another Republican, Nick Begich, who helped split the vote. Uh, but even that shouldn't matter because those folks are able to vote for second and third choices and so forth. So uh, nonetheless, the Democrat beat Palin, beat Nick Begich and a fourth candidate named Chris Bai, a libertarian who, by the way, uh, he as he's listed at the website, he was the first one to go uh, to, to leave the race. And I noticed at the Divi- Alaska Division of Elections website, he's listed there as by comma Chris, which I guess is appropriate if you're the first one thrown out of the race. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Does that mean? Sorry. Sorry, Chris. Bye. Anyway, um, so uh, Peltola won the seat for the Democrats for the next two years. For the first time in five decades, it'll be a Democrat in that seat. In that seat. Uh, and so, hey, congratulations on another excellent endorsement, Donald Trump. Sarah Palin thanks you in particular. Also in yet another loss for Donald Trump in Alaska over the past week, incumbent Republican Lisa Murkowski. Uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski defeated the Trump-endorsed Republican challenger to her seat. That would be Kelly Chewbacca, along with Democrat Patricia Chesbro and Republican Buzz Kelly. 
Lisa Murkowski beat all three of them to win the uh, re-election to the seat that she has held since 2002. She was challenged by uh, that Trump-backed candidate Chewbacca after voting with the majority in the U.S. Senate to remove Donald Trump from office during a second impeachment trial last year when a bipartisan 57-43 majority of the Senate found him guilty of having incited the January 6, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, though, even though a majority of senators found him guilty, 57-43, that was not enough to meet the two-thirds threshold that would be needed to remove him from office and or bar him from holding office ever again. In uh, either event, add it to the long list of losses this year for loony nutball candidates supported by Donald Trump, who, had they been better candidates, likely would have been able to win back a Senate majority for the Republicans and a much larger majority than they will have in the U.S. House beginning in January. Now, speaking of loony Trump-backed candidates... Arizona, where loony Trump-backed election liar Mark Fincham lost his uh, his bid for secretary of state to Democrat Adrian Fontes, an excellent former election official and a guest on this program, and where the state's former Democratic secretary of state Katie Hobbs defeated the Trump-backed loon and election liar Carrie Lake in a very close race. Less than one point difference or about 17,000 votes difference out of more than two and a half million that were cast. Um, Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, defeated Carrie Lake to flip the governor's mansion for the Democrats from red to blue next year. There would be an automatic recount in that race if the margin had been just a little bit lower, if it had been less than one half of one percent. But it was just over that. And the Republicans who have controlled the state for years, they do not even allow any candidate to pay for a recount if that candidate so chooses, if the margin is greater than a half percent. So. There you go, Republicans. You made it so that Carrie Lake can't have a recount, even if she wants to pay for one. And by the way, when it's that close, I think she should be able to, at the very least, pay for one, even if it's not an automated, automatic recount by the state. And the reason why is because you believe that the public, if I can state for you, we'll that you see. believe the public should be allowed to see that close races have been tallied accurately and that it does boost public confidence when there is a professional, nonpartisan <laughs> or, recount. Or if you Exactly. Not one of those cyber ninja recounts or uh, not just prove that it was done uh, correctly, but find out if it wasn't done correctly. There's really no way to know if these are all being counted by computers. There's no way to know if the computers counted them correctly unless human beings actually get to count them. And in a race that is that close, it seems like, you know, you should be able to do that if you're a candidate. If you choose to raise the money to do it, you should be able to do it. Nonetheless... Um, she's not getting one, apparently. But Carrie Lake, who still refuses to concede, well, she is now suing instead. She will not concede. She lost the race and she is suing. Sound familiar? That's why she got Donald Trump's support. Late last week, Carrie Lake filed a lawsuit against Maricopa County elections officials alleging that they broke election laws. She also claimed that 118 polling centers appeared to have a printer tabulation problem. Although officials previously said there were 60 polling centers with printer issues, not 118. 
and that they were corrected before polls closed. In any event, um, this was not this problem. There was a problem that occurred at the polling place, but it was not a problem that should have kept anyone uh, from being able to vote, even though some Republicans were angry about it. They reportedly walked away without casting their ballot for some reason. But that was their choice. Lake uh, announced this lawsuit, naturally, on Steve Bannon's podcast, just like the future RNC chair, my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. So Lake announced this uh, lawsuit on Bannon's podcast. She called the 2022 election, quote, the shoddiest election ever in history. She said, don't know how Donald Trump's going to feel about that. No, my election was the shoddiest in history. Anyway, on Election Day, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chair Bill Gates, a Republican, said there were 60 polling sites that had printing problems. Uh, they they uh, print out print on demand ballots there, fill them out by hand, and then they are scanned. The um, 60 polling sites had the problems that were all fixed before the polls closed. It didn't keep them from voting. It just kept those ballots from being counted properly or actually being rejected by the optical scan computers. Gates said that the uh, print-on-demand ballots uh, were printing too lightly on the ballot for the ballot to then be read by the scanners for some reason. And now we don't know why that is. We don't know why the printing was too light to be read by the scanners if the scanners were not set sensitively enough, if the printing devices weren't printing dark enough, we don't know. Nonetheless, voters were able to cast their vote anyway and then place that ballot into a box to be tallied back at headquarters. That's the way many jurisdictions around the country do it. And indeed, a whole bunch of precincts in um, in Arizona, a bunch of, of counties, I should say, in Arizona already do it that way on a regular basis. But this is what Lake is complaining about and demanding a new election for as she files her lawsuit. She alleges in the suit that, quote, because of the printer tabulator problems, the polling locations were chaotic, voters were frustrated, and the votes uh, the voters had to endure long lines. Well, if all it takes is long lines to have a do-over election, I think uh, I can think of a few hundred such elections in recent years where the Democratic candidate might like to have a do-over election as well. Lake released a video late last week saying she had, quote, assembled the best and brightest legal team. And we are, quote, exploring every avenue to correct the many wrongs that have been done this past week. On Fox News, uh, she said that the state had uh, shoddy elections that are run by imbeciles. And if elected, she said she would call a special session of the Arizona legislature to address it. Now, for the record, both the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and its county elections recorder in Maricopa are all Republicans. Though the Secretary of State, Lake's challenger for governor, Katie Hobbs, is indeed a Democrat. But if you think that she should not be overseeing her own election in this case, well, I would not disagree. But then we'd also have to go back to a whole bunch of other elections. We'd have to unseat, for example, Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, who oversaw much more directly his own election for governor in Georgia while he served as secretary of state against Stacey Abrams back in uh, 2018 by way of just one example. 
The Board of Supervisors Chair Bill Gates, a Republican, has said that the county takes responsibility for the printer issue, but blamed prominent Republicans, including GOP Chair uh, Kelly Ward in the state, for exacerbating the problem by telling voters not to allow their ballots to be counted at the election headquarters down in Phoenix, down in downtown Phoenix. She said, don't do it. Well, a lot of people ended up walking away, didn't get to cast their vote, and it was, as I said, a close election. Whose fault is that if they were told by the head of the Republican Party to just essentially walk away and not cast a vote that would have otherwise been counted? By the way, Ward, Kelly Ward, for her part, was also recently ordered by the U.S. Supreme Court to turn over her phone records regarding the 2020 election in response to a subpoena from the U.S. House Committee investigating January 6th and the fake electors scheme. But on Monday in Maricopa County, well, it was certification day for the uh, for the election for all of the counties across the state. The state itself will certify next Monday. But on uh, uh, Monday morning in Maricopa, there were a lot of angry Republicans who had time during their two minutes uh, to speak in response to the board of supervisors who were there to certify the county's 2022 elections. Here's a, a choice of, of some of those uh, folks with thoughts at today's hearing. So let me, re- let me frame this right. We're not framing this properly. This is a war between good and evil. And you all represent evil. Justice, you high and mighty politicians, don't even know the meaning of the word fairness. Which of you has any left? Not one. All your dealings are crooked. I came here today to get an up-close and personal look at the seven traitors to the United States Constitution. Okay, again, please. sitting at that desk. I will not repeat your election crimes. I will just say, not certifying the machines constitutes a form of interference. And in case no one has enlightened you people, interference in an election in the United States of America, Mr. Gates, is a capital offense. It's considered treason, punishable by the death penalty. So is that a threat? Is she making a threat on the life of Bill Gates? Because Bill Gates, uh, and again, not the Bill Gates from Microsoft, but the Bill Gates, who's a Republican, the Republican chair of the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County, where there are four Republicans and one Democrat. And again, the county recorder there is also a Republican. But that Bill Gates had to actually go into hiding because he received so many threats right after the 2022 election. And I'm not sure if he is still in hiding or not. But uh, that's the kind of response he got. That reference you heard to uh, not certifying the machines, she's talking about the print-on-demand ballot printers that print out a, a ballot at the precinct that is given to the voter. The voter then fills it out by hand. It is then scanned in one of the computer's uh, scanners. The computer scanners are, in fact, certified tested and certified, but apparently no certification is necessary for print-on-demand printers, which sort of makes sense in that they are not directly a part of the uh, of the voting process itself. That's what she was referring to there. So it's not like it was some scheme to not certify the printers 
Because remember, those ballots can be hand counted. Uh, there was not some scheme. They're just not part of the uh, they don't require certification, as I understand it. Now, in a much closer race, uh, before we get to our break here, and I'll take your calls again, doesn't have to be on elections. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, anything you think the world needs to know or I need to know about anything at all, uh, give me a call. But uh, in a much closer race that is still uh, essentially uncalled in Arizona because there will be a recount, Democratic Attorney General candidate Chris Mays still leads the Trump-backed Republican candidate Abe Hamaday by 510 votes out of more than two and a half million cast. Yes, every vote matters. Keep that in mind. Uh, Two of the state's counties, by the way, are refusing, have said they would refuse to certify the results, and uh, they may have to be brought to court before the state's uh, Democratic Secretary of State and Republican governor finally certify all of the elections next Monday. Hamaday, of course, is entitled to a recount for a uh, for a race that close. And we'll see if the Democrat, Mays, is able to hold on to that 510-vote lead and uh, flip the state's attorney general office from red to blue this year. She remains confident she'll win it in the end. We shall see. We will be watching that one closely. I'm not quite as confident as she is. Uh, You know, when you're talking about two and a half million votes, 510 votes is a pretty easy typo to make. We'll see. Uh, A race that close, I'm sure they've checked it closely throughout the uh, canvassing period. But who knows, once they start recounting it, see if the computers got it right. And you thought the 2022 election was over. Silly you. And by the way, that doesn't even include next week's U.S. Senate runoff in Georgia, which, as mentioned, we will discuss more later this week on this program. But hey, if you want to ring in on any of this or anything else, 818-985-5735. What do you think the world needs to know about that we all might have missed while we were enjoying turkey and stuffing and whatever over the past week? 818-985-KPFK for a reverse broadcast in which you tell me what's going on and I tell you why you're wrong about it. Uh, anyway, if you got nothing, don't worry. Uh, I, I, I do, but I, I would prefer to hear from you instead as well. 818-985-5735. Uh, we'll take a quick break here and come back with your calls or more of my stories. And you may consider that a threat. I'll leave it to you. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. What's going on? What's going on? What is going on? I haven't been paying attention for a while. I could use your help. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradcast from bradblog.com. Told you I've been away. Uh, What is going on? Give me a call. Let me know. 
985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Like I said, I got stories, but I would much rather hear from you in a uh, what we like to call a reverse broadcast where you tell me what's going on and I tell you how you're totally wrong about it. Uh, we do have a story about uh, the uh, United States uh, weighing whether they should send 100-mile strike weapons, missiles, to Ukraine. That, an exclusive uh, from Reuters today, the U.S. has been avoiding sending uh, missiles that can, you know, be shot too far into Russian territory. But now, I don't, I don't want to say they're considering doing so. I want to say Boeing would like them to, is proposing that idea. Uh, these could go 100 miles. Uh, now, Russia has missiles that go far longer than that in their appalling assault on their sovereign neighbor. And they have been using them and hurting them and committing war crimes against them and, you know, firing hundreds of miles towards population centers like Kiev to knock out power and water to civilians. Again, a war crime in Ukraine. So uh, should the U.S. send these more powerful weapons to help, uh, you know, maybe help Ukraine win this thing sooner than they might otherwise? Because make no mistake, uh, do not be fooled by propagandists paid by the Kremlin on your public airwaves to tell you otherwise. But Ukraine is winning this war, at least until, uh, you know, Putin feels backed into a corner and, you know, could escalate things further. Is that a good idea? I don't know. 818-985-5735. Let me go to uh, Fred in Orange County. Hey, Fred, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, hey, Brad. Thank you for having me on. Hey, could you invite your friend uh, Max Blumenthal on again because of the situation uh, against Palestinians right now with the new extreme far-right government of Netanyahu? It's really horrible. And then... And also experts on the Middle East, you know, when they compare the atrocities, you know, over 10,000 Palestinians have been massacred. And this is according mm -hmm. to the uh, human rights people, uh, the Israeli B'Tselem, in the last 17 years. And when it comes to atro atrocities, it's hard to surpass uh, uh, what Israel is, has been doing to the Palestinians in Gaza. And by the way, for... oh, I'm sorry, so Max, Max could elucidate on this. And also, Brad. Let me uh, before you move on to the next. Also, Fred, uh, you said Max Blumenthal, my friend. I, I, I don't know. Do we know Max? I don't think we've ever I have we had him on the him show. On the air. You've had him on the air before. If I have, it was years and years ago. Nothing against that. I'm not suggesting <laughs> I, I don't like him, uh, but uh, I'm I am suggesting I, he's he's not actually a, a friend of mine. Oh, okay. He could be. Yeah, no, I, I do have some concerns about his uh, coverage actually of Ukraine, from what I have seen at least on. Twitter. And so uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have him on, but I, I just thought I would mention that since you said he was well, my friend. And you know, it, yeah, it's just, it's just horrible that the uh, media does not cover atrocities that are committed Agreed. against Palestinians. Agreed. Human rights. I mean, is there, yep. there are beyond war crimes. I mean, they're crimes against humanity. I hear you. And so, and this guy's an expert. He wrote a book. The 50s, war war crimes war. are crimes against humanity, by the way, just to, well, just to be clear about it, that. But Israel yes. Call, Israel calls these operations, just like Russia. All right. I mean, because the fourth strongest 
military power in the world, you know, going against people who have never been, you know, <laughs> armed or anything, never had a tank or anything. I got you. Anyway, All right. You had another thing, quick point to make, Fred? Yeah, I did. Could you listen to uh, a comment I heard you made about Julian Assange, mm. um, you know, that he went too far? I mean, I, I just wonder what type of punishment you would meet out against him. Because, you know, he's a journalist, and he, he was trying to do, uh, you know, bring some light to what was going on. You know, uh, you know he was originally. And then he stopped being a journalist and he started being an operative as far as as I see it. OK. And I, uh, you know, protect his right. I would fight for his right to do journalism. As I see it, he became an operative. He became um, uh, irresponsible in many cases. You know, I I'm a journalist as well. If somebody dumps a whole bunch of documents to me. I'm not just going to turn around and release them without making sure the people who are named in them are not in some sort of danger. Uh, and uh, I, I don't believe that I would use them as a political cudgel against others. So I think that's probably what I was referring to. I still do not want to see him. You know, uh, I remember very well and criticizing on the air Joe Biden calling him a terrorist. He is not a terrorist. And this was years ago before uh, was when back when Biden was still vice president. So I don't consider uh, Julian Assange to be a terrorist, as many both Republicans and Democrats have described him over the years. Um, but uh, I'm also very careful before describing him as a hero. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know that I want to see him extradited to the U.S., but I'm also not sure I want to uh, hold him up as a great uh, champion. In, but wouldn't you agree the, the good he's done outweighs whatever harm you think he might have done? Um, <laughs> I think he's done good. I think he's done harm. It's not a matter of out one outweighs the other. If, uh, you know, someone can do, somebody can do something that's very, very good and then, you know, commit a crime. And they should be held accountable for that crime. And I'm not sure what this crime is that he would then be held accountable for. I think you must have heard me just sort of refer to, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm not. There are some people who regard him, you know, who are just unflagging champions for him. And early on, I would have joined them. As time went on, uh, I don't think he was quite as wonderful and heroic, in my opinion. I just wonder who yeah. he hurt and, you know, if you have any evidence of how, how many people are harmed by him. But anyway, thank you very, very much, Brad. All right. Appreciate I appreciate it. the call, Fred. Uh, 818-985-5735. Um, you know, uh, releasing emails, um, you know, I, I, I didn't expect to get a call on Assange, so I'm not uh, prepared right now to describe my specific concerns about him. But maybe we'll do a show on that at some point, and, and I'll be happy to do so. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to Mike in L.A. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. On the uh, title of The Family That Does Its Crimes Together Should Do Its Time Together, uh, I don't know if you noticed, around Thanksgiving and the tax... Uh, evasion trial in New York mm-hmm. uh, involving the Trump organization. The uh, chief financial officer who has uh, turned state's evidence was testifying on what they were doing for 10 years, which yep. uh, cheated the tax man. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's only uh, two tax men whenever you discuss this, because there's both the state and federal mm-hmm. income taxes. Right. Uh, they've been cheated out about 200000 each year. Mm-hmm. And when he took this to the uh, offspring, uh, 
Don Jr. and Eric mm-hmm. and told them about it. What did they do? Did they go to the tax people and say, oh, this is terrible, we've got to make restitution? Uh, no, not quite. Uh, what they did was they gave him a uh, a raise of 200000 a year. <laughs> right. So I think they might be in line for a little bit of legal problem. Uh, might be con- federal convicts uh, before too much longer. I, well, I I think they I think they should. Let me just say I have no idea why Alvin Bragg, the federal I'm sorry, the state prosecutor in Manhattan, why he dropped the well he says he didn't drop it, but why why he did not bring charges in the criminal probe against. Uh, Don Sr., Don Jr., Eric, everyone else who knew about this. I don't know why he pulled his punch there. He is bringing the trial you're talking about as a state fraud trial against uh, the company, against Donald Trump's Trump organization and against its uh, chief uh, financial officer, Fred Weiselberg. But so far, Eric, Don and uh, Don Jr. and Don Sr. have been uh, let off the hook. Yep. Anyway, I have a dream, and it's a big concept dream, and that is that Don uh, Sr. and Jr. and Eric end up serving time in the same federal cell where they host a a sitcom-slash-reality show (laughs) in which uh, the premise is that uh, everyone humors Sr. along the lines of uh, Cousin Teddy in Arsenic and Old Lace and convinces them he's still president, and they have a sort of continuing uh, yeah. what? possible for, for satire there. Hey, don't, hey, Mike, don't give that away for free. You're in Hollywood, man. Uh, you oh, know, okay. you, this might be turned into Netflix series by uh, by next season. It's already protected. Thanks, Brad. All right. Thanks. For, uh, looking out for my interests. Thanks, Mike. Good to hear from you, sir. Comedy Eight, gold. Yeah. I, I, well, actually, it kind of would be. 818-985-KPFK. A reverse Bradcast. Let me know things that I need to know. Susan in Torrance, welcome to the Bradcast. Hi. Um, I, this is copyrighted, too, but I <laughs> wanted to say that democracy doesn't stop at an election. And I want to thank you for all the work you do to enlighten people about uh, safe elections. But there are two, two things um, that, you know, of the people, by the people. Mm-hmm. Nobody, no, as a business coach and a life coach, people, uh, what boss hires somebody, especially for about, you know, $200,000, and then doesn't tell them what to do and what's expected of them. Only American voters. Mm. Um, we send them, and then we don't bother to spend literally less than a minute that it takes to call the Congress switchboard. Mm-hmm. Um, all you have to do is Google that. The number mm-hmm. comes right up, Congress switchboard. And, and tell them what you think. Um, I do outreach every day about people calling for Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Um, with and add five seconds to, with vision, hearing, dental, mental health, and long-term care included. Mm-hmm. No premiums, no co-pays, better care. Um, now, and uh, now, don't people? But, pe- but people do call, like, don't do, don't they call their uh, Congress members? What's that? Almost not at all, hmm. and the, almost none. Um, and I, as I said, I do outreach every day. Mm-hmm. So I talk to dozens of people every week. Mm-hmm. And they don't, um, almost none of them, a few uh, but make my day, 
know the Congress switchboard number yeah. and give it out. It makes it so much easier. And my other pet... That number being 818-985... No, that's our number. Uh, 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. But my other pet peeve is when I talk about Medicare for All, they say, isn't that great? Oh, but it can't happen. And the only people I hear saying that um, are usually progressives or Democrats or independents. Um, I say, when do you hear, you know, fanatics or far right wing people say, oh, that's great, but it can never happen. Uh, we. Um, so just to be we, clear, Susan, I, I want to be clear. It's not that Republicans are saying uh, Medicare for all can happen. You're just talking about the idea of hearing a politician say, oh, that can't happen. And that Republicans don't no, do that. I'm talking they about make it American happen. citizens saying, mm-hmm. oh, that can't happen. That would be great, but it can't happen. Right. And it doesn't happen because of that attitude. Because we're and, defeated before and, and we and even right, started. Right wing people are picking up the phone all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the other ones that don't, they declare defeat before they spend 30 seconds yep. to make a phone call and try. Yep. I hear you. No, you're absolutely right, Susan. I, I do appreciate that thought. All of those thoughts. I and think by you're the right. way, they can't buy a vote. So no matter how much they get bribed with by insurance, uh-huh. pharmaceutical companies, oil and banks, and huge factory farms, they can't buy a vote. What does that mean, they can't buy a vote? And i got to get to a break uh, here, Susan, but what do you mean they can't buy a um, vote? People say, oh, they, you know, my vote doesn't count or mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter that I call. And it does matter. They're counting the calls. And when they get enough calls, even mm-hmm. by people who can't vote with a ballot, mm-hmm. but who contribute billions of dollars in tax money to the economy, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention consumer power, um, when people vote with action, whether it's making a call or telling somebody information or writing a letter to the editor, then um, they, you know, they they vote with action. And people who vote with action, Congress people know, can get two, five, 20 votes to the poll. Gotcha. They know that. They hope we don't. All right. But when we pick up a phone and call, it lets them know we know. Thank you, Susan. We're the ones who make the decision. Thank you, Susan. I do appreciate that. Once again, if you'd like to call your member of Congress, and i got to let you go, Susan, but it is 202-224-3121. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Happy accountability season, as I like to call it. 818-985-5735. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with uh, whatever else we can fit in here at the very end. Hang on, Mo. We're getting to you, brother. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. 
for the last few minutes of today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us here. Let me go to uh, Mo real quick. Give him uh, more than the usual seven seconds we offer him. Hey, Morris of Long Beach. How are you, sir? Welcome to the broadcast. Oh, I'm doing great, Brad. Thank you very, very much for asking. I had a, a little thing, a premonition when that came to me. Uh, Letitia James, the New York, the Attorney General, mm-hmm. uh, let's say she gets a, a, a lien on Donald Trump's name and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, can she put that lien on Mar-a-Lago? Well, uh, that's above my pay grade to answer that question, but she can put a lien. You know, she's suing him for two hundred and. $50 million, if I recall. And yeah, I mean, I think she can lean on everything. He's got a lot more money in, uh, he, you know, just New York alone that I suspect would uh, get them up towards $250 million. But she could probably put a lean on anything. Yeah, I, I'm guessing. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Donald Trump would rather face espionage uh, violation allegations than folks seizing his assets. Mm-hmm. I yeah. You might be right. Uh, Thank you, Morris. I appreciate that, my friend. Okay. Well, that's enough reverse broadcasting for today. We will try again next week and see how things go. Des, we didn't even have time to get to the world's largest. There was a celebration, I think, uh, on the, the great uh, in the great state of Hawaii on the Big Island. They're celebrating our return, I think, <laughs> with the first eruption in nearly four decades of the Mauna Loa uh, volcano. volcano. Yeah. yeah, it's been it began erupting Monday for the first time since 1984. Um, the Washington Post reported that officials say that the lava flows uh, could threaten some roadways, but they otherwise think that there's no immediate danger to populated areas on the big island that are nearby because it's a really sloping volcano. So lava flows can take hours, days, Mm -hmm. even weeks to reach communities on that side of the island. It's way better than if it had occurred on the more populated, uh, more steeper slopes near Kona. Um, Hawaii officials do warn residents to be ready for things to worsen. They haven't declared any evacuation orders, but they have uh, open shelters and they um, are warning that winds could carry toxic volcanic gases and fine ash downwind. And that can be a problem because uh, that fine ash can uh, mess with your uh, livestock, with your engines and your electronics and harm your crops. And we got to get your fine ash out of here because we're up against the clock. Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and thanks to our producer and uh, thanks to our board operator, Yout Orozco, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to everyone who called in as well. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here. Hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1908. That was the day that an explosion at the coal mine in Mariana in Washington County, Pennsylvania, claimed the lives of 154 miners. It was one of the deadliest disasters in U.S. mining history. The Mariana mine was on the Pittsburgh coal seam, one of the richest coal deposits in the country. 
The mine was operated by the Pittsburgh Buffalo Coal Company. It was considered by many to be a model operation. The company houses that surrounded the mine were made of yellow brick, had hot and cold running water, and electric lights. This set them apart from other mining homes of the day. By the early 1920s, 90% of all mining homes were wood-framed, and less than 20% had electricity. Yet even though Mariana was considered a model, disaster still struck. Mine inspector Harry Lewitt had been on site for two days leading up to the disaster. On Saturday morning, he had just left a mine shaft. According to newspaper reports, he found the mine in, quote, perfect condition. Then, shortly after 11 a.m., came a horrific explosion that left experts puzzled. It was believed that a vein of natural gas caused the deadly blast. Only one man, Fred Ellinger, was rescued from the mine. He gave a harrowing account of what happened to the Washington Observer. He said, quote, I was working at laying brick in one of the entries, and the first thing I knew, a terrible explosion took place, which threw me some distance. My two buddies were also tossed some distance away. I heard them for a while, then all was quiet. Ellinger was rescued, but 154 other men were not. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show.